This is it. Are we live and for real, Mr. Producer? Yes, sir. Hallelujah. Welcome to the second ever edition of Uncle Tom Talks. We're ironing, ironing out a few things with the live stream and just getting everything tightened up. Got to expect that's going to happen in the early days of one of these deals. Uh, Mr. Producer, I can hear me in my headsets. So if you could turn that down at the, at the mothership, I'd appreciate it. Uh, there we go. I still can. That's all right. We're going to work it out. So I'm Derek Wilburn. I am your host. And I am being... Ah, hey, we're good. Okay. Let's try this again. Second ever episode of Uncle Tom Talks. I am now on Conservative Daily. And uh, Mr. Producer, I can hear me. I can hear me playing in my headset. So whatever you whatever you use to reverb my sound back to me, can you kill that? I'd appreciate it. Or I'll just turn my I'll just turn my headset all the way down. There we go. Problem solved. If you didn't see Tuesday's edition of Uncle Tom Talks, boy, you missed an epic show. <laughs> well, we're going to go another direction today. So. I've mentioned this in a newsletter I sent out today. We all know that the so-called mainstream news media, ABC, CBS, NBC, New York Times, CNN, you know the names, Alphabet Soup. We know that those are at this point nothing but unregistered super PACs of the Democrat Party. That's all they are. That's all they are. They, they, that patient is dead on the table. We might as well stop complaining and talking about all the problems with the mainstream media because they're not coming back. So what we need to do is to begin to empower alternative media like Conservative Daily, like the Uncle Tom Talks podcast, like what you see happening on this channel. This needs to be the wave of the future. This path was blazed by the blaze, uh, by Bright, uh, Breitbart daily caller and now others like conservative daily are picking up the ball and carrying it even further down the path and this is what it's going to take so please start tuning into conservative daily every podcast you can be on mine as well as the others any place else any alternative news media source we need to start empowering these setups thereby disempowering those lying agenda driven neo-marxist outfits that people traditionally have looked to for news in this country because they have no interest in delivering a message like you're going to get here on conservative daily they have very little interest in the truth unless the truth tells the story that they want told speaking of the story that they want told so today on uncle tom talks i'm going to power through three topics that are three topics that are uh, uh, in your face daily I mean, they are literally everywhere you turn right now. It's unbelievable in this country. I'm going to talk about Black Lives Matter, white privilege, and systemic racism. I'm going to talk about them all. How do we look at these things? How do we process these things? How do I, as a black conservative, and how do you, as a whatever kind of conservative you are, you know, it's reached the point now where if you're white in this country, you, you, you're basically just starting to keep your mouth shut. And that's not right. You should be able to speak, say, and do in your own country and in whatever circles you want to say it in, whatever's on your mind within limits of decency and what have you. But the left has successfully shut conservatives down, especially white ones, by slapping the term 
racist on everything you say, do, or think. Well, not here and not tonight. So I'm going to run through Black Lives Matter, white privilege, systemic racism. Call your friends, call your mom, lock up your daughter, lock up your wife, lock up your back door, then run for your life because here we go. Black Lives Matter. So if you ask me, I'm a black American born in Chicago, Illinois. I currently live in Colorado. If you ask me, am I a believer in Black Lives Matter? My answer to you is yes, absolutely. I'm a black life. So, you know, if, if you don't think that Black Lives Matter, uh, I don't want you for a friend. But, and there's going to be a lot of big butts tonight. I got a big butt. But. Term, the saying Black Lives Matter, the movement Black Lives Matter are two entirely different things. Am I a believer? Am I a supporter of the term and the notion that Black Lives Matter? Absolutely. Am I a believer and a supporter of the movement Black Lives Matter? Absolutely not. Couldn't support it, don't support it, won't support it. And I'll tell you several reasons why. Number one is because I'm not an anarchist. You will never see me ever, nor any of my children, out in the streets, burning, looting, rioting, assaulting, doing the things that we've seen happening in this country in the last year and a half, two years. It'll never happen. I was upset by the death of George Floyd. Uh, I was. I thought that George Floyd's death was uh, I, I thought it was it, it was it was his his life was taken unnecessarily. I, he didn't do anything that I saw that was deserving of a death warrant. But you know what? The system worked. Okay, those who took his life had their day in a court of law before a jury of their peers were found guilty and sentenced to prison, which in my estimation is just recompense for the crime committed. The system worked. However, the death of George Floyd, I wasn't so upset by the death of George Floyd that it made me go out and steal a TV. It, nothing has ever upset me that much. So when I look on TV, protesting, fine with protesting. I've protested. I attended a protest just a couple of weeks ago. Nothing wrong with protesting. We have that right in this country, and it is patriotic to exercise that right. But there's a big difference between protesting and throwing a brick through the window of a store, jumping through the window and stealing as much as you can carry in your arms. That's not protesting. That's felony. And that's what Black Lives Matter has become. So there's my one problem with Black Lives Matter. My second problem with Black Lives Matter, and it's even bigger than the first, is this. Black Lives Matter is the biggest case of selective outrage you'll ever see. It is selective outrage. Black Lives Matter misnames itself. What Black Lives Matter really should call themselves, Mr. Producer, bring up image number one, will you please put this on my screen? What Black Lives Matter really should call themselves is about to be on your screen in three, two. No, image number one, sir. Criminal. Black lives killed by white cops while being apprehended or while in the commission of a crime matter. That's what they should call themselves, because those are the only black lives that they care about. Those are the only black lives that they go out and protest, riot, loot, and burn over. Criminal black lives killed by white cops while being apprehended or while in the commission of a crime matter. 
That is the selective outrage that today's Black Lives Matter truly embodies. And I can give you several examples. I can sit here and give you examples all night, but I'm going to give you one right now. Bring it back to my gorgeous face, Mr. Producer. So I'll give you one example right now. You have never heard. So Brianna Taylor. Of course, you heard about Brianna Taylor. Brianna Taylor, young woman, was killed by white cops in March of last year, March of 2020. Uh, the cops were serving a no-knock warrant on on her boyfriend at her apartment on her boyfriend who was in her apartment. I, I don't know if he lived there or not, but uh, he, he was involved in drug trade and you know, he, he had warrants. So the cops served the no-knock warrant. He fires on the cops, cops fires on him. There's a gunfire, there's a gunfight. She, she catches a bullet in the crossfire and dies. You remember this, and America burned. America burned. They painted, painted BLM, Black Lives Matter, on streets, and small businesses were driven by people looting and stealing everything they could carry in their arms, and America burned. A few months later, Breonna Taylor was in her 20s. A few months later, another 20-year-old black woman was killed. This was in July of last year. You have never heard in your entire life you have never heard of Tanisha Pusley. I promise you, I know you've never heard of her. Tanisha Pusley was killed just a few months after Breonna Taylor. Breonna Taylor was killed in March 2020. Tanisha Pusley was killed in July of 2020. Mr. Producer, give us image number two, would you please? This coming on your screen now is Tanisha Pusley. That beautiful young woman was shot in the head and killed last July. You've never heard of her. There were no protests. There were no riots. Tanisha Pusley was shot in the head by this Cretan. Next, next uh, image number three, please, Mr. Producer. This Cretan coming up on your screen right now. This is the man who shot and killed that beautiful young woman. I'm not going to glorify him by even mentioning his name, but he shot and killed her in the head last July. Okay, Mr. Producer, I'm back. Tanisha Pusley did all the right things, made all the right decisions in life, went to college, got a degree. She's from Montgomery, Alabama, joined the Montgomery, Alabama police force, went to the academy, graduated, became a police officer, took the detective's test and became a detective. She was a detective in the Montgomery, Alabama police department. She was hot shot in the head and killed a few months after Brianna Taylor. You've never heard of her. You want to know why? Because she was not a black life killed by white cops while in the process of being apprehended or in the commission of a crime. That's why. I monitor the Black Lives Matter website very closely. I get their newsletter. I read it. Every single one that comes out, I read it cover to cover. I never saw her name mentioned once. Not one mention. They couldn't have possibly cared any less. And we all know about the children that have been shot and killed in Chicago and Atlanta and Baltimore. They never mentioned them. They only mentioned one kind of black life. Those black lives killed by white cops while being apprehended or in the process of committing a crime. They're the only ones that matter to them. Well, not to me. To me, black lives matter. All black lives matter. White lives matter too. Senior lives matter. Juvenile lives matter. Italian lives matter. 
they all matter, including black lives, but not to these people. So if you ask me, are you a believer? Are you a supporter in Black Lives Matter? Absolutely. Are you a believer and a supporter of the movement Black Lives Matter? Absolutely not. Because the Black Lives Matter movement is only concerned with one thing. Black lives killed by white cops while being apprehended or in the process of committing a crime. But let's keep going with Black Lives Matter. So it's important to know where movements come from. I mean, they have to come from someplace. They're founded by somebody, right? It doesn't just spring up out of the earth. Someone had a vision, probably wrote it down. And then with the, with the internet now, it's even easier. It begins to spread. So let's examine a little bit about the founding of Black Lives Matter, who the people that founded it were and what they believe. I want to bring up an image now. Let's go to image number four. Captain Producer, this is Chanel Helms. Chanel Helm was co-founder of Black Lives Matter, one of the largest Black Lives Matter in Louisville, and she put forth their list of demands. Okay, this, this is the Black Lives Matter list of demands. Check this out. Number one, white people, if you don't have any descendants, will you lead to a black or brown family, preferably one that lives in generational poverty? Two, white people. If you're inheriting probably uh, property that you intend to sell upon acceptance, give it to a black or brown family. You're brown, bound to make that money in some other white privileged way. Three, if you are a developer or realty owner of a multifamily housing, build a sustainable complex in a black or brown blighted neighborhood and let black and brown people live in it for free. Now, this is verbatim. I haven't changed a thing. This is verbatim from Chanel Helm. The only thing I've done is emphasize certain words by putting them in yellow. And you notice what those words in yellow are. Give, free, let us have, will it to us, so on and so forth. Next image. So that's one, two, and three. Now we're moving on to four, five, and six. Theoretically, if these suckers at the mothership come back in from their tequila shots and get my slide changed. Here we go. Okay, four, five, and six. White people, afford to downsize your home, <laughs> give up the home you own to a black or brown family, preferably a family from generational poverty. Five, white people. If any of the people you intend to leave your to leave your property to are racist a-holes, change the will and will your property to a black or brown family, preferably a family from generational poverty. Six, white people, rebudget your monthly so you can donate to black funds for land purchasing. These were the list of demand items as published and put out by Chanel Helm, Black Lives Matter, Louisville. What do they all have in common? Give, give it to us, free. You, white people, owe us things for free. And I wanna put up right now a quote from one of the greatest thinkers in American history of any color, 
And we're gonna compare and contrast what we just heard from Black Lives Matter to what this man said. This man's name was Frederick Douglass. Frederick Douglass, one of the greatest thinkers ever. This is what Frederick Douglass said in 1875. Everyone has asked the question, what shall we do with the Negro? I have had but one answer from the beginning, do nothing with us. Your doing with us has already played the mischief with us. Do nothing with us. If the apples will not remain on the tree of their own strength, if they are worm-eaten at the core, if they are early ripe and disposed to fall, let them fall. I am not for tying or fastening them to the tree in any way except by nature's plan. And if they will not stay there, let them fall. And if the Negro cannot stand on his own legs, let him fall also. All I ask is give him a chance to stand on his own legs. Let him alone. That was Fred, Frederick Douglass, 1875. My, how far we've come. We've gone from this brilliant man saying, what this is basically saying here is we want to be equal, not special. Don't give us thing. Let us survive of our accord. If we can't do it on our own, then let us not do it at all. You giving to us, you supposedly taking care of us, has played the mischief with us. You're not helping. You're making matters worse. That's what Frederick Douglass said. And what's Black Lives Matter nowadays saying? Give it to us. Okay, give us the home you live in. You owe it to us to just give us things for free. I'm not with it. Those were the list of demands by Black Lives Matter. Now we're going to move on to something even more interesting. So up and until September of last year, in September of 2020, this was removed. The Black Lives Matter website formerly had a page on it called What We Believe. So it was what we believe. They removed this page from their website in September of last year, but a lot of people screenshotted it like me. This is a direct verbatim. I haven't changed a thing. Every day we went to healing ourselves and each other, co-creating alongside comrades, notice that word, comrades, allies, and a family culture where each per person feels heard and supported. Okay, I mean, I'm okay with that. It's a little, maybe a little poorly worded, but no problem. We are unapologetically black in our positioning. In affirming that black lives matter, we need not qualify our position. To love and desire freedom and justice for ourselves is a prerequisite for wanting the same for others. Again, okay, okay, a little poorly worded, but that, that no big, no problem with those. We see ourselves as part of the global family, and we are aware of the different ways we are impacted or privileged as Black people exist in different parts of the world. Now, wait a minute. We as Black people are privileged? The whole point of this stuff was whites were the privileged ones. So which is it? Regardless, next slide. We are guided by the 
the fact that all Black Lives Matter, regardless of actual or perceived sexual identity, gender expression, economic status, ability, disability, religious beliefs or disbeliefs, immigration status or location. We make space for our transgender brothers and sisters to participate and lead. So now we're we're moving into new water now. Okay, so so all of a sudden, is this really still about Black lives, or has the agenda taken a, a hard left turn? And do the work required to dismantle cisgender privilege and uplift Black trans folk, especially Black trans women who continue to be disproportionately impacted by trans antagonistic violence. Now. We want to do the work required to dis dismantle cisgender privilege. Well, if there is cisgender privilege, there men and women are therefore privileged, right? So, you know, we're, we're, we're confusing that issues here. Now, if you're saying that there is cisgender well, cis black folks make up the majority of your movement. You're trying to dismantle them, and we're going to uplift uh, at black trans women need to be disproportionately impacted by trans antagonistic violence. I've never done the research on this to find out if that's if that's true. Trans women are uh, truly disproportionately impacted by trans antagonistic violence. It may be true, it may not. I really just don't know. But still, we're kind of leaving Black Lives Mattering behind and moving in a whole uh, a whole new direction. Okay, we're up to uh, image number nine, Captain Producer. We build a space that affirms, no, 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 that's not nine. You're on 10. We build a space that women is free from sexism, misogyny, and in which men are centered. So the Black Lives Matter is an organization that Line, aligns itself almost exclusively with the Democrat Party. If you get their newsletter, they're, they're nothing but a super PAC for the Democrat Party. Um, they want to be free from sexism and misogyny, yet they align themselves with the Democrats, who puts Bill Clinton up to speak uh, at every major fundraiser that comes down the pike. I don't know about that. We practice empathy. We encourage comrades with the intent to learn about and connect with their contexts very, it's just poorly worded. We make our spaces family friendly and parents to fully participate with their children. That's good. We dismantle the patriarchal practice that requires mothers to work double shifts so that they can mother in private, even as they participate in public justice work. That a statement of fact, is there a patriarchal practice in this country that requires mothers to work double shifts now granted some mothers do I mean, a lot perhaps a lot uh, single mothers you, you got to do what you got to do to put a put a ham on the table uh you, you've got kids so plenty of them do work double shifts but is that a patriarchal practice that requires it we have a country that's extraordinarily generous i mean we're, we're the only nation in the world well maybe not the only but we're certainly one of the only nations in the world where you can be considered to be in poverty yet still have a three-bedroom apartment. You can be considered to be in poverty and have a refrigerator, air conditioning, an automobile, 
or a bus pass paid for by other people. You can get an EBT card and use it to buy food and monster energy drinks. We're very generous with the poor. Do we require mothers to work double shifts? I don't think we do. Again, some have to, but that's not because the government or our society is requiring it. It's because that's what they're choosing to do. Slide number 10, please. We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure, uh, nuclear family structure requirement by supporting each other as extended families and villages that collectively care for one another, especially our children, to the, the, that mothers, parents, and children are comfortable. Full, full stop. You just lost me. We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement. Hold it right there. The number of studies that have been done, and it is any point in, in point out, there's been so many, that demonstrate the truth that a two-parent household is the best environment in which children can grow, for which children can grow up in. It, it, it isn't even arguable. It isn't even debatable. And they want to get rid of that. But I'm going to talk about that next when I get to the next topic. The whole idea that that we're, we're, we're extended families and villages that collectively care for one another, that's sound. But is that really practical? I mean, in, in a neighborhood, on a street, in an apartment building, sure. I, I, you can do that. But a black folks living in Los Angeles... Are they truly an extended family and a village that collectively care for one another and our children with other black folks who live in Cleveland? No, they don't even know each other. So it's one of those things that sounds good, but in practicality, it really doesn't work that way. We foster a queer affirming network. When we gather, we do so with the intention of freeing ourselves from the tight grip of heteronormative thinking or rather the belief that all in the world are heterosexual unless he or she uh, or they disclose otherwise. We embody and practice justice, liberation, and peace in our engagements with one another. This is a mouthful, a queer affirming network. What has that to do with Black Lives Mattering is a bit of a stretch, it's tough to see. And then, you know, words are important. So this last line, we embody and practice justice, liberation, and peace in our engagements with one another. First of all, are Black folk peaceful toward one another? I mean, all you really have to do is watch the news any Monday. Watch the internet news any Monday and get the, the report on the number of people shot in Chicago and Baltimore and Detroit and Atlanta and everywhere over the weekend. We aren't really peaceful with one another. But if we're supposed to be peaceful with one another, then that's a backdoor way of saying we don't have to be peaceful with you if you're white. And that's one of the reasons you see people hitting people upside the head with bricks and harassing old folks coming out of a Trump rally and, 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 and throwing things at them and assaulting and all that stuff because we're supposed to be peaceful with one another. So this is anarchy. This is a recipe for anarchy, and that's all there is to it. These are people who are simply saying they're all about queer. They're all about 
tearing down the family structure. And they're all about saying, you owe us things for free. So if you ask me, are you down with Black Lives Matter? Yes, I am. I'm down with that saying. I'm down with the belief Black Lives do matter. But if you ask me, are you a supporter of the Black Lives Matter movement? Not on your life. Not on your life. Wouldn't give them a nickel. Wouldn't give them the sweat off my brow if they were dying of thirst in front of me. The sooner that thing dies, the better for the United States of America, as far as I'm concerned. Now, I said we're going to deal with three topics. Black Lives Matter, white privilege, systemic racism. White privilege. If you ask me, is there white privilege? Are you a believer in white privilege? Does white privilege is real? Does it exist? My answer to that question is yes. Absolutely. There's no question about that. But, I got a big but, there's more to it than that. Here's one of the biggest sources of privilege that white people in this country enjoy. A child born in the United States of America into the following circumstance, a child born into a household where mother and father are married prior to birth, prior to that child's birth, and who stay together, who stay married, until that child reaches the age of adulthood, which is 18 years. A child in that circumstance has less than a 3% chance of ending up in poverty, less than a 3% chance of ending up in federal prison system. It almost never happens. Parenting is everything. If you are born into a household where your parents were together at the time of your birth, they were married and together, and they stayed together until you reached the age of adulthood, your chances of being in poverty or in prison, almost non-existent. However, it doesn't matter what skin color. If that's the situation you're born into, you have almost no chance of ending up in poverty or in prison, sleeping underneath a bridge, shooting up heroin. It almost never happens, regardless your parents' skin color. However, if you are born white in this country, you have almost a two-thirds, almost a 67% better chance that that is the household situation you are born into than if you're black. Because if you're black, the, the black, the illegitimacy rate is so high in the black community. 73% of our babies are born into single parent households. That's the privilege right there. If you're simply born into a household with a mom and a dad, and they raise you together until you reach the age of adulthood, you are a child of tremendous privilege. I am a child of incredible privilege. I had amazing privilege. And I'm going to show it to you right now. Captain Producer, UTT number two, please. That right there is little Derek, bottom right, Darvi, my sister, my mom and dad, Bill and Tossie Wilburn, outside our home on Laughlin Street in Chicago, Illinois. There's my privilege right there. That's my mom and dad and my sister and me. Uh, I'm looking I'm looking three years old there. So this is this is sometime in the late 1960s. I don't know exactly when, but my mom and dad were together at the time of my birth, stayed together until I reached the age of adulthood. They're still together today. He's 94 and she's 89. She'll be 90 next month. They're still together. Do it, go, going strong. 
And so I had almost no chance of ending up in prison or ending up in poverty because of that right there. I'm the child of amazing amount of privilege. And my father, I mean, and my dad, dad, up. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't easy. I didn't always like it as nobody did. I loved most of it. In fact, you want to know what my dad, here's one of the things my dad used to tell me. My dad, I can't count the number of times he told me this. My dad, this is like in my teenage years. My dad used to tell me, Derek, if you ever get arrested, don't waste that phone call on me. And he meant it. That phone call, you, you, that phone call you have a right to, don't call me. Don't even, don't, don't waste it on me because I will hang up the phone, roll over and go right back to sleep. He used to tell me that all the time. I'll just hang up the phone, roll over and go back to sleep. You got yourself into it. You get yourself out. I don't deal with people who run afoul of the law. That, that, that's not happening. If you get yourself arrested, I'm not your man. I don't have your back. That's your problem. I didn't raise you. I raised you to keep you out of trouble. Not to bail you out of it once you get yourself into it. So don't call me. And he meant it. Now listen, I never tested it because I've never been arrested. I've never been arrested to this very day. But that's just dadding me up, right? That's just dad dadding me up. That's just dad doing what dads do. And unfortunately, millions of black young black men in this country don't know what that is. And here's the thing. God's system works. Okay, so God's system, one man, one woman, together in the covenant of marriage for life. Now, I understand that that isn't always how it plays out. If you're watching this and you're on your second or third spouse and whatever, listen, we live in a fallen world. Nobody's perfect. I get it. But that system reproduces itself, right? So I married a woman whose mother and father were together at the time she was born and stayed together until she reached the age of adulthood. And so that was something we had in common and that force drew us together. My, my children, my wife and I are still together. My first wife, my children, the two who are of approaching marrying age, my oldest is 24, our middle child is 20. They both are in relationships my 24-year-old my is a son. He has a girlfriend. My middle child is a daughter. She has a boyfriend. They both are in relationships with a young woman and a young man who come from a stable two-parent household. So the system repeats itself, right? Like attracts like. So you've got a 13-year-old boy who's one of four or five. And mom is a single mom, and she's working as hard as she can. She's being the best parent she knows how to be, but she's not there a lot because she's working a job or two and putting in long hours and doing what you got to do to put a ham on the table and to put clothes on the backs of growing children. It's not easy. I, I can only assume I've never been a single parent, but so you've got a 13 year old boy who's just, he's unsupervised quite a bit of the time because mom's not there. So the supervisor is the 16 year old boy, right? The older brother. So the, half the time there's, he's sitting around here, here's his life and uh, in school, sloughing off, maybe getting decent grades every now and then. And uh, next thing you know, the, the, the neighborhood gang comes around and the gang offers a sense of family and a sense of belonging that he's not getting at home and kind of falls into that path. And next thing you know, you're on the you're on the prison train. Okay, you're on the path to prison train. It happens every day in our country to kids of all kinds of colors. 
A young man like that, when he gets to be 17, 18, 19, 20 years old, like my daughter, a young man like that is going to have nothing to offer her. She's going to have no attraction to him at all. A 19-year-old dropout, or if not a dropout, barely graduated, with, with, with running around with fools, smoking weed. My daughter has no attraction to him. The young woman who is going to be attracted to him is more likely to have come from a background like his. My daughter is dating a young man. I like him a lot. And both his mother and father were together at the time of his birth. They're still together to this day. And so the cycle repeats itself. God's way works. Now, a lot of people don't like to hear that, but it doesn't change the fact that it's the truth. So the privilege comes from home. It's just that simple. Now, I had said we're going to cover three topics. Black Lives Matter, white privilege, systemic racism. Systemic racism is the big one. So if you ask me, is there systemic racism? Is systemic racism real? Does it exist? My answer to you is yes. Absolutely. Question about that. There certainly is racism. I wouldn't deny that for a second. But, this is a big but, that question, is there systemic racism? That question is one that cannot be asked in isolation. If we're going to say there's systemic racism or ask if there's systemic racism, there are two other questions that must be asked in conjunction. The first of those two questions is simply this, where is it? Right? Where is the systemic racism? If you can't find it, if you can't locate it, then it doesn't exist. Where is it? I would argue this. I would argue that systemic racism, systemically racist practices, no longer exist in our federal governing structure. At the federal level, it once did. Clearly, I mean, race, uh, slavery was once the legalized law of the land. Clearly, we had racist structures in our federal government, but we ended it. We ended slavery. We got rid of it. Then there was Jim Crow. We got rid of it. Then we passed the Civil Rights Act. Then we passed the Voting Rights Act. And then we had discrimination in housing. We passed the Federal Fair Housing Act. We squeezed as much of the racist, ingrained in policy, racist ideals out of our federal governing structure as can be squeezed out. I can't think of a single racist practice at the federal governing level that equally oppresses people of color in both Bangor, Maine and in Billings, Montana. It doesn't exist. But if we're going to say that there is systemic racism, and there is, then we have to answer the question, where is it? Where it is, is at the local level. It's not a federal thing anymore. It's a local thing. All these, these protests we see, these riots around the country about racist police practices or allegedly racist police practices and police brutality and what have you, those are local. All right, what happened in Minneapolis, Minnesota, what happens in St. Louis, Missouri, Trump's got nothing to do with that. Biden's got nothing to do that, that's That's local control. Police answer to a chief or a commissioner who is in the mayor's cabinet, right? That's local. These issues of police brutality is local. If we have unfair housing and discrimination taking place, that's happening. That's a local issue. If we have unfair hiring and, and, and employment practices, those are happening 
locally. That's not federal. So that leads to the next question. Is there systemic racism? Where is it? It's local. It's at the city level. The next question that has to be asked is who runs the system? Right? I mean, that only makes sense. If we're going to say that the system is racist, then we have to ask, okay, who's running it? Who runs the system? Well, cities. So we, Black Americans, we, we are an urban population for the most part. We, we live in our, in our nation's metropolitan centers. Yes, there are Blacks in small towns and there are Black farmers and ranchers and what have you, of course. But th those numbers are so small that they're almost statistically insignificant. We, we live in Louisville. We live in Chicago. We live in our urban centers. Cities are governed by mayors and councils, right? That's the governing structure of a city. You have the mayor, which is the executive branch, and you have the city council, which is the legislative branch. If we're going to examine local governance, we have to start looking at where the black people are. I was born in Chicago, Illinois, as you just saw, saw a picture of me and my family. Chicago has a far left of center, liberal mayor, Lori Lightfoot, black lesbian. Chicago has had nothing but Democrat mayors since the beginning of time. Nothing but Democrat mayors. Chicago has a 50-5-0, a 50-member city council. The current makeup of the Chicago City Council is 46 Democrats, four independents, and zero Republicans. Under Barack Obama, we have civic unrest and rioting and protests in St. Louis, Missouri. Michael Brown, Ferguson, just outside St. Louis. Uh, cops, uh, white cops killed a black, killed a black man. St. Louis, Missouri has had nothing but Democrat mayors since the beginning of time. St. Louis has a 28 member city council. The current makeup of the St. Louis city council is 28 Democrats, zero Republicans. Also during Barack Obama's tenure, we had riots, burning and looting in Baltimore, Maryland. Freddie Gray, black man killed by white cops. Baltimore, Maryland has had nothing but Democrat mayors since the beginning of time. It has a 15 member city council, the current makeup of that city council, 15 Democrats, zero Republicans. August of 2020, George Floyd, black man killed by white cops. The city burned, the nation burned. Minneapolis, Minnesota has had nothing but Democrat mayors since the beginning of time. Minneapolis has a 13-member city council. The current makeup of that council, 12 Democrats, one from the Green Party, zero Republicans. I earned my master's degree from the University of San Francisco. My wife and I moved here to Colorado from the San Francisco Bay Area. I know San Francisco very well. I could take you anywhere in that city without a map or without a GPS. I know it well. lived there for 12 years. Arguably the most liberal city in our country. San Francisco has had nothing but Democrat mayors since the very beginning of time. It has an 11 member city council. Today, that council is made up of 11 Democrats, zero Republicans. If San Francisco isn't the most liberal city in our country, Seattle is. 
both Seattle, Washington and Detroit, Michigan have had Democrat mayors and nothing but since the beginning of time. They both have nine member city councils. The makeup of those city councils today is nine Democrats, zero Republicans. New Orleans, Louisiana was once mayor, mayor, mayor of New Orleans was Ray Nagin. Ray Nagin once called New Orleans a chocolate city, used his time in the spotlight post Katrina to call New Orleans a chocolate city. Of course, Ray Nagin ended up in prison and he got out on a COVID extension, otherwise he'd still be in prison to this day. New Orleans has had Democrat mayors since forever. It has a seven member city council. Today, seven Democrats, zero Republicans. I could keep going. I could keep going. We could, we could circle the country. Milwaukee, Atlanta, Los Angeles, New York City, you name it, we could keep on going. New York City is the one exception. 51 member city council actually has two Republicans on it. So it isn't just that Republicans or conservatives aren't in a position to affect policy. They really aren't in, in a position. They don't have the votes to slow the Democrat liberal train down. It isn't that they, they, they don't have enough influence. There aren't any. Zero. There are literally none. They simply do not exist. There is not one Republican in a position of power in any black community anywhere in the country. Well, that's an exaggeration. There's probably there's probably one or two or three. There's probably a handful out there, but you just saw the statistics. So if we're going to say that systemic racism is real, we have to ask where it is. Where it is is in our cities where the black people live. If we're going to say that the cities themselves are systemically racist, then we have to ask the question, who runs the system? And the truth of the matter is, the system is run by the same people in every black community in the country. Now, for some reason, people hate liberals, black liberals, hate to hear me say these things. But that's like saying I hate the truth. I mean, I'm not making this up. The system is run by liberal Democrats in every black community in the country. So if the system is racist, who's running it? So last, uh, earlier this year, back in March, you may recall we had this ice storm, this bad ice storm that came up through the Gulf of Mexico and, and took out Texas and Dallas and, 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 and Houston and, and these areas had, had real big problems. So, so all that ice formed and all the power lines fell. You remember, maybe remember seeing they had, had memes and stuff of helicopters of petroleum-fueled helicopters shooting a petroleum solution on a windmill so it would work again and all that stuff. Remember this in March, that bad ice storm? Well, that ice storm really detrimentally affected the state of Mississippi right next door to Texas. And one of the hardest hit cities in that ice storm was in Mississippi, the capital city, the largest city in Mississippi, Jackson, Mississippi. Jackson uh, is one of the highest per capita Black, uh, you're getting ahead of me, Mr. Producer. It's one of the highest per capita uh, black cities in the country. By far, it's something like 81% of, of Jackson, Mississippi is black folks. And in Jackson, Mississippi, uh, you know, they had no water for weeks. You couldn't take a shower. You couldn't do the dishes. You couldn't do anything. I mean, there literally was no water because their infrastructure was so busted by this ice storm 
that the only way that anybody there had water was because companies like Walmart stepped up and sent 18 wheelers filled with trailers full of water there. And the only way people could take a shower was to hold a bottle over their head and scrub up. As, you know, that, that There was no water for weeks. Well, Black Lives Matter jumped in on this and sent out a newsletter. I'm on the Black Lives Matter mailing list. I read their newsletters diligently. And in the days and weeks following that ice storm, the Black Lives Matter newsletter came out, and here is what it said. Okay, now, Captain Producer, here we go. Earth, Earth. Our people in Mississippi need our help. This is just a screenshot from my e email. Communities in Jackson, Mississippi have entered their third week of a water crisis. The historic winter storm that caused the crisis in Texas also devastated parts of Mississippi with no sign of help. People can't even use the bathroom, shower, get proper access to food, or do anything as needed to survive. Over 80% of Jackson's population is black, which is why it's no surprise that the government has neglected these communities and their needs. We constantly, we are constantly expected to fend for ourselves, but as always, we keep us safe. That's why Black Lives Matter Global Foundation is raising money for the People's Advocacy Institute to meet the emergency needs of our communities recovering from the recent climate disaster related winter storm damages. The People's Advocacy Institute is working with over 30 rural and state partners. Through their joint efforts, they've shared resources with over 500 people in Jackson, Mississippi, they're also doing wellness checks throughout the area and have already reached nearly 16,000 folks. So this is good. I mean, they're working with, a, with an agency that's bringing people relief. Over 80% of, Jack, Jack, of Jackson is black, which is why it's no surprise the government has neglected these communities, okay? So in other words, Jackson is neglected and has been neglected for a very long time because, it's, because of racism. Now, here's page two of this newsletter. Image 11, uh, UTT 11. No, that's not it. One before that. Come on, Captain Producer. Working on it. Don't make bad. me have to come back there, man. It won't be the first time. UTT 11 is what we're looking for. Page two of this newsletter. Our movement was never just about putting an end to police violence against black people. We must put an end to institutional violence against black people too. What's happening in Jackson is a perfect example of this. Blacker and poorer communities have long been blatantly neglected and aren't invested in. The water crisis in Jackson was bound to happen one way or another with a system and infrastructure that are decades old and have long been overlooked. With the full scope of the damage is still yet, while the full scope of the damage is still yet to be determined, what we are sure of is that hundreds of thousands of people in Jackson have no running water, broken pipes, roofs, and serious water, uh, food and water access needs. So let's look at that second paragraph. What's happening in Jackson is a perfect example of this. The blacker and poorer communities have long been blatantly neglected and aren't invested in. The water crisis was bound to happen one way or another with a system and infrastructure that are decades old and have been overlooked. Okay. So what Black Lives Matter is saying is that the water delivery infrastructure in Jackson, Mississippi is, has been overlooked for decades. It's antiquated. 
And the reason it's been overlooked, the reason funding hasn't been approved to get it up to snuff is racism. It's racism. This is systemically racist. Well, Jacksippi's water system is the ability of Jackson, Mississippi, just like Peoria's is the responsibility of Peoria. And Los Altos is the responsibility of Los Altos. Trump doesn't run that. Biden doesn't run that. Washington, D.C. doesn't run that. There may be some funding that has to get petitioned for, and Washington, D.C. may provide some funds, but the allocation of those funds and the maintenance of that infrastructure system is a matter of local governance. So Black Lives Matter is saying the system in Jackson, Mississippi is racist, and that's why it has been neglected, because nobody cares about the black folks. Fine. I'll buy that. Who runs the system? So I went back and pulled up all of the mayors of Jackson, Mississippi, since the turn of the last century. Here you go. UTT 12, Captain Amazing. There are all the mayors of Jackson, Mississippi, since the turn of the 20th century. What do you notice? Who's running the system? Now, I said earlier that cities are governed by mayors and councils, which they are. Let's get a look at the Jackson City Council, UTT 13. Now, I'm not going to go through each one of these individuals because something tells me you're a pretty, you're a perceptive audience and you can probably figure this out. But I'll tell you what, last year, Jackson City Council held elections, just like a lot of cities, just like my city council, the had city council, lots of cities had elections last year. Here is a list of the incumbents and the candidates for city council office in Jackson, Mississippi, in the last election cycle. Give me UTT 14. Okay, so just look this over. What do you notice? Reasonably amazing, isn't it? So, to capstone, to summarize, to put a bow tie on this, if we're going to say there is systemic racism, we have to ask, where is it? It's in the cities where the black people live. There isn't systemic racism in small farming community in the middle of Kansas where there's 300 people and they're all white. If there is systemic racism, it's where black people live and we live in our cities. If the system in the city is systemically racist, who is running the system? You have just experienced the second ever broadcast of Uncle Tom Talks. I'm Derek Wilburn. If you like what you just heard, I encourage you to please come back and come back often. I'm going to air live 6 p.m. Mountain, 8 p.m. Eastern right here on Conservative Daily every Tuesday and Thursday evening. Two, two, two nights a week.
You got to get Uncle Tom talks. You got to get more of the same. Some nights we're going to talk about this sort of stuff. Sometimes we're going to do just a, a breakdown of contemporary headlines in the country. I don't know what I'm going to talk about. I'll figure that out when the time comes. But between now and then, stay safe, stay blessed, kiss somebody that you love, and tell them how much you love them. Captain Producer, what did I miss? I think you covered it all, sir. <laughs>